Morning. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Morning, all three of you that are awake. Let's see. Happy New Year's Eve, 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 Eve. I think one I had it four times, right? New Year's Eve, 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 Eve. Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel 28. We're studying the will of man. I think this is class number five. And we're looking at the second will that was introduced into the universe. By that, by that we mean Satan's will. And, and we started talking about it last week, Satan's will introduced. And this morning we'll kind of finish with a little bit with Satan, Satan's will. Again, starting off the new year with a great topic. Or the, finishing the old year with a bad topic. And then we'll get into the uh, third and fourth wills introduced by the rule of man. So let's pray, and we'll go to Ezekiel 28. Father, we thank you for this morning, the blessings you bestow upon us, the wonders of the uh, creation around us. And Father, as we begin to usher in a new year, we thank you for the blessings and, and the challenges and the trials of the old year, that you've given us lessons and, and, and learned, and we've learned things from the past. And Father, we carry these into the new year, looking forward to a time that we could share our faith and share what we learn within the Word and spending time with one another. Father, we thank you for this congregation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on in, all of you from different directions, and take a seat. Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. Um, I'm not going to do a whole lot of review because I just want us to bring up, this is Ezekiel 28, and we'll be going to Isaiah 14, are the two passages in the Old Testament tell us a little bit about what Satan was like by using a lesser example. In other words, in Ezekiel, we have the king of Tyre as the example, but we're looking at what drove the king of Tyre in this prophetic book of Ezekiel. And we're going to pick up in verse 15, and we're going to look at Satan's crash or Satan's downfall or whatever it was, and uh, observe some things from that. Uh, we're going to read verses 15 and 16 and talk about this Casting out in this crash of Satan from uh, where he originally was created for and what he was. Remember, we talked last week about uh, Lucifer, Satan, uh, the, as this morning star, the most magnificent of God's creations. He, he was covered as a, a priest was to ornate himself. Therefore, he was some kind of a mediator between that was going to be between man and God. Uh, in verse 13, you were in Eden. The Garden of God. So we place him where he was initially impacted man was it Eden. Um, for some reason, God had given him access to that. We'll, we'll go through some of those different issues. But we're going to look at 15 and 16. It says, You are blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherubim, cherub, uh, from the mists of the stones of fire. So here's what we're going to look at. First of all, the, the, the important issue here is the turning point. There was some unrighteousness found in him. Uh, there are certain things by silence in Scripture that I, I guess God says, you don't need to know this, you just need to know the outcome. And in verse 20, uh, verse 15, it says, until, um, if there was a word that you wanted to em make large and, and brazen or somehow in your forehead, it's knowing that there's an until. 
So until this happened, until unrighteousness is found in you. You guys got the passage? Looks like a few of you not. Ezekiel 28, just so we know. Ezekiel 28, verse 15. And there was some unrighteousness found in him. Uh, what this unrighteousness was, I have no idea. Uh, uh, we, we do know from rest of scripture that he did um, want to be like the Most High. We don't know what stirred that. And I think too often we want to know how sin originated. And sin is just as easy as this. It's rebellion against God. So whatever Satan did was total rebellion against God. What initiated it, what time frame it was in eternity past, I don't think is relevant to the conversation. Um, if you don't know, this book we call the Bible is God's book to man. And about man, when we focus on things extraneous to that, we lose focus on what the book is about. In other words, if we just talk about where where does God interact so much with angels and do so much with angels, we'd have very little material biblically on angels. Do you know that? I mean, if you were to take a course on angelology, they'd give you uh, your portfolio that goes with your class to get, and get what you're going to learn about angelology, and there's not a whole lot there. There's really not a whole lot of verses because the focus of this is man, not angels. So when we talk about Satan, what we basically can say in the realm of what we're discussing is that the sovereign God created Satan, or we could say Lucifer and the rest of the angels, placed Lucifer in a specific spot in God's framework of heavenly government. And then he permits, he permits within that framework of creation, he permits his creatures to have a will that challenges his will. So just as Satan could challenge God's will, so can we. This, the, so if you want to talk about the freedom in the discussion, is Satan was free to do it, except Satan had a one-time only uh, kind of deal that went on. So it was a one-time only, even though he's constantly and consistently uh, uh, rebellious towards God even today. But the will of this anointed cherub did not succeed in the challenge. However, he is free to do so. So, for instance, we'll see in, in Isaiah, Satan said, I want to be like the Most High. He's free to do that. You're free to say, I want to be like God. Or I want to be God. It's not going to happen. But you're free to, ch- free to make that choice. Uh, uh, so you're, within what we call the freedom of the will, uh, you're allowed to challenge God's will. And, but we gotta do, we gotta draw some distinction here in time and eternity that Satan did this before we know time was, was constructed for us. We're in time. Satan still is not, as an, as an angelic being is, uh, not in time. I think one of my favorite verses that have to do with angels is they look into this plan of salvation God gave to man and is, and, and are intrigued. They're investigating. They, cause they, what? They don't understand grace. God didn't have to extend any grace to the angels. They had a one-time choice. A mass of angels with Lucifer fell. That was it. God didn't say, well, well, Jesus will die on a cross for you and you'll be saved and he'll extend grace to you. Nope. There's no grace plan for them. So when angels uh, and Peter look into what's going on in mankind, it intrigues them. They're awed by it. Now, is that fallen angels? Or is that just good angels as we would, or unfallen angels? I have no idea. I think the whole angelic realm is fascinated by God's grace to man. That's my personal opinion. Um, but up at, the, at this point, we know that Satan's, Satan's will was opposed to God's will. And we know that, un, that Satan's unrighteousness came from, from his, uh, 
his being. Uh, he was beautiful and impressive, and he was, and he was, and by that, uh, by his ability to who he was, he said, "I'm going to declare independence from the will of God." Now let's put it in the uh, child-parent relationship. I believe every child is struggling for their own independence from the age they're born to the age that they decide that they're out of the house and they're on their own recognizance. They will struggle with parental uh, authority. Let's put it that way. And we we nicely give them titles so that we can know how to handle it. We call them the strong-willed child. No, they're the child with the will. And they want to be independent and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that until they do what? They 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 assert their authority over your the parent, parents' authority or disobey the parents' authority. Then there's issues there, strong issues, right? Um, so the, you got to look at the same thing. What happens with God, Satan, and man when when there's a struggle for independence and that independent spirit says, "I'm going to do whatever I want to do and directly disobey God." Uh, there's there's a problem there, and that's a challenge. So so when we look at Satan, Satan's biggest challenge was to the throne of God, which is fascinating because when we look at these things, and we will in a minute, um, when we go to Isaiah, we see that Satan's wanted wanted to be in God's throne, but he didn't want some of the things God has that that would would make him God. He didn't want to be gracious. He didn't want to be loving. He just wanted all the power, all the authority, all the uh, might and, and notoriety that went with a throne. He didn't want the other things that God has. Because there's nowhere in my Bible that ever says Satan wanted to extend justice uh, in a loving fashion to anybody. He just wants to rule like a thug. So, uh, so and, and here's the interesting part. Um, I know enough about God, and I think all of you do. God could have done something very easily to Satan. He could have what? Wiped him out. Could have wiped him out in an instant. Uh, but I think the most fantastic exhibition of, of God's power, God's supremacy, God's sovereignty uh, that we could ever think of is God allows Satan to be Satan for a time. Um, that's just showing God's in total control and he does, and he, and he, if there's a challenge there, and that challenge trickles down to man, he wants man and Satan and any angel to willingly submit to him. I think that's an interesting thing. But um, go with me. Hold your finger in, in Ezekiel. Well, we're not going to go back, probably. So go to Philippians chapter two. Go to Philippians chapter two. Now, I think sometimes these, these verses are missed, and we want to claim these verses for all of mankind, which is fantastic. I don't have a problem with saying that. But here's what we have. So um, let me draw the picture for a minute. We have God creating angelic beings. These angelic beings, especially Lucifer and his fallen minions, made a one-time choice to disobey God, their will over God's will. And now we have a struggle of at least two wills. We're not going to say Satan plus X amount of wills, but we're just going to say God and Satan. There's two wills in the universe, and there's a struggle. But there's going to be a time when there's only going to be one will in the universe again. And in, in, in Philippians, we'll pick up in verse 9, Philippians 2.9. It says, Therefore also God highly exalted him, talking about his son, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. That means any name, his name, uh, his 
uh, name represents his being, who he is. He's, he's greater than any being. Um, verse 10 says, Then at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Now, how do we look at this? Could it be just talking about people that have died and went to Hades and those that went to paradise and some, you know, heaven or however you want to look at this and on earth? Uh, is it talking about dead, alive, and um, judged, I guess is the best way? I, I'd say yes and no. I think it's greater than that. I think it's talking about every being that was created, every being, angelic and human, because uh, otherwise, what would you have if the angels didn't bow and didn't exalt? You'd have, you still have that little rebelliousness, uh, that different will that's being exuded. And when we're looking at this, Philippians is telling us a time that every knee will bow in what? Recognition of one will. I'm going to tell you that people that, that have, are unbelievers and angels that are fallen will recognize God's full um, deity, omnipotence, sovereignty, whatever you want to, providence, whatever you want to uh, do that, the, everyone's going to recognize that. And every tongue, verse 11, should confess that Jesus, uh, it, uh, we could basically say that Lord Jesus Christ, that's what they're going to confess. Uh, I know your, your Bibles have the word is in there, is is not there. And the reason it's not there, it's just giving you a status quo. Je- there's not a time Jesus isn't the Messiah and Lord. Right? Jesus is always that. And uh, to the glory of God, and the Father's not there either. So, it's, again, it's talking about uh, who God is. He's In this instance, since we're talking about the Son, we also have the Father. Or, And that's kind of interesting, because every knee will, knee will bow, and every tongue will confess to this. The confession is God is who God is, and His Son and he, and is also God and Lord. So, that's fascinating, and that's overall not only just mankind, but I believe the angelic realm too. So our question should come out of this. Why would does God even allow his authority to be challenged? Because if we talk about absolute sovereignty or absolute supremacy of something, that means they're totally in charge, right? And um, I think there was a, a billboard I once saw that says, it's God's way or the highway, ever something similar to that, you know. And there's a truth to that. But God allows his uh, authority to be challenged according to what I see in, in Scripture because God gives a chance. Uh, well, let's, a- let's ask a different question that goes along with this. If God didn't sh- allow man to, to um, challenge his authority or Satan, how would we understand grace? Kind of, kind of get what I'm saying? Grace gives to man something he doesn't deserve, okay? And if God was totally sovereign and didn't allow choice, that means man didn't have a choice what to believe or not to believe, or to bow or not to man. Man's a but. At that point, man becomes, yeah, robotic, uh, an automaton. <laughs> what, do you, what do you call it? Uh, you know, you just think about it because you don't have a choice. Um, you know, kids, kids ask the darndest questions, and they, they give us an understanding of, well, as parents, what we have to do. Kids say, why? How often have your kids said, why? You know what they're doing? They're questioning your authority and why you're making them do something, and you're giving them a, challenge, a choice to make a, you know, like take the garbage out, whatever it might be, give, to make a good choice to go do something willingly. And how do you feel as a parent, and one day you kids will be a parent, uh, as a parent when your kid does something without you telling them? 
but you've told them to do it, but now they're going to be willingly obedient to your authority. And it's like, ah, such a wonderful moment. It's better than me constantly saying, do this, because I am your father. Listen to what I'm saying. Now, there's times you got to say, please don't question my authority. If you're out in the street and I tell you to come in, don't say stand here in the street and say, why? You know, uh, so, but God allows this challenge, and I think it's interesting how we look at it. And, and I think this is often the problem with most people that tend to over, overemphasize the sovereignty of God. And I don't know if we can. I think it's good to overemphasize the sovereignty of God. But if God is absolute sovereignty and he doesn't allow challenge to that will, let me, th- let me ask you a question. On the other side, if God allows the challenge, does it change God's sovereignty? If God says, I will allow my will to, will to be challenged and you can make a choice that I don't believe is right and I'm going to give you a command and you don't do it, has my, has my sovereignty changed one bit? No. And I think that's what happens with some uh, bad theologians. They think that my day can ruin God's day kind of idea. You know, you wake up and you say, God, I know you're disappointed in me. And Lord, I ask for your forgiveness because I know you're just in absolute sorrow over what I've... No, God's day is not ruined. You haven't changed God at all. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So whatever happens within the uh, relationship between God and man doesn't change God. And what God's looking for is for who to change? For man to change. Right? And I think that's what we have to look at more than anything. Uh, and when we take certain verses, and we will at the end of this, it's to kind of look like man has no ability to do anything. We've got to say, well, man's limited in his ability, um, but it's only as he interacts with God. Because if he doesn't interact with God at all, he's going to be pretty bad off. You got what I'm saying? And we'll, we'll kind of address that as we go along. Uh, now, the other side of this, though, we, we always talk about God's sovereignty and this, this ramification of God's will versus man's will or Satan's will. So we talk about God's sovereignty. But the problem I have with that is God doesn't have one attribute. God is, has a multiplicity of attributes, and none of the attributes outweigh any of the other attributes. They're all, he's all equal in whatever attribute we pull up. So we're talking about the attributes of God, who, what makes God God. And we can't say, well, he's more sovereign than he is love. That's, a, that's kind of a, hang on. We can't say God's sovereignty outweighs any of his other attributes. And I'm going to say this, when I see people take one of his attributes, such as sovereignty, over and above the others, I think it, would, it doesn't allow God to exhibit those other attributes. Kind of get what I'm saying? Go ahead, Rick. Okay, again, we're going to address that. I am going to get to that. We're, we're really, what we're talking about right now is we've talked about God's will. We're talking about Satan's will in the universe. We're going to get that when we get to man's will. Um, but when we talk about that reflecting of things as is in his image, uh, we don't have what I would call absolute attributes. Okay, so we're talking about God's absolute attributes. So God, God never changes as far as that goes. So, if when we live in a proper response to the will of God, that's the only place we have the peace with God, not the peace of God. Peace of God comes with, at the moment of salvation. We have peace of God, 
we have peace with God as we live within our lives in a proper response to not only the will of God, but who God is. Uh, I think one of the most important things for a new believer to really grasp is who God is. Get an understanding of, we call it theology proper, that sounds so dignified. But, but he basically studied the Godhead, who God is, what his attributes are like, what, what, what he is like. So turn with me to Isaiah now. We're still talking about our topic of the morning is Satan's will. So we're going to go to Isaiah 14. And I think some of the things here, if we just cha- change them a little bit and look at them and challenge ourselves with this, we will see. Um, this is where uh, the uh, King James, King James Version helps a little bit. Because we know from King James, his name is Lucifer, bless you. Um, in verse 12, the New American Standard says this, Isaiah 14:12, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of dawn. And the King James Version, I believe, has Lucifer there, right? Anybody got a king? Yes, thank you. And the New King James? Okay. Um, so that gives us his name. Uh, what, the, what the New American Standard Version did was give us a uh, translation of the word. Uh, so Lucifer was translated into uh, Star of the Morning, and he's also called Son of Dawn. You have been cut down to earth. You have been weakened. You have weakened the nations. So again, Isaiah is looking at this, at, at what's driving the ba- the nation of Babylon, and one of the things he is, uh, he's talking about Lucifer, the Morning Star. Uh, it also means to be praised. Lucifer was meant to be uh, not him himself to be praised, but to be the praise machine. Uh, sometimes we, and here in this church even, we sing praise songs. Sometimes they're not praise worthy. They're just songs that kind of repeat itself ad nauseum sometimes. Uh, don't take that wrong because I know some of you love praise songs. I just don't know when it stops. Stop already. You ever, you ever hear a song and you just want to say it could, it could have stopped, you know, a couple of frames ago kind of thing. Uh, but, however, he was the one that was to lead, and I, this is the way I've been taught, Lucifer was the one to lead, lead praise. His, when he would speak, uh, supposedly according to enough, uh, and I'm going by a lot of theologians together, um, his, his voice was melodious. He was like the Earl Jones of heaven. <laughs> James Earl Jones. I, I don't want to do that to poor James Earl Jones. Somebody's going to call me up and say, you said he's demonic. No, he's not. I don't know anything about it. But there's some people you could hear read certain things and you go, wow, that's fantastic. Um, I, I've, I've listened to what's his, I totally lost the guy, Reed Raven. I know I could fi- picture his face. Um, but he read the poem by Edgar Allan Poe, the Ra- Raven. I said, man, that's fantastic. It's like, this is a great p- poem. So you got to think how Satan would worship the Lord. And he was um, the, the melody carrying machine, I guess is the best way to say it. He, w- he was very w- vibrant in the way he would praise the Lord. But his sin was, in, now here's what I believe his sin is. He introduced the second will into the, all of the universe. Because it says in verse 13, but you said in your heart. Which is fascinating, because if you think of angels, do you think of them as um, biogenetically like a human? You all have a heart, you have lungs. You have, I don't think of them mechanically like a human. So what would the heart be? The heart has to be the thinking part of who he is. And the thinking part is always, in, in Hebrew, deals with the leb, L-E-B. It's the thinking part of who you are. 
So you're going to, when you say, who's the real you, it's not your body. Uh, that'll change, that'll age. Guys that are younger, you're going to get old. Uh, go, guys that are you're old, you're going to get like a fine wine. <laughs> Every once in a while, we got to turn you. <laughs> uh, but as we look at this, he was said in his heart, his mind, his innermost thinking, how, how does God know that? Because God knows the innermost thinkings of all his created beings. And I think that's important for us to know. So he said within his self, uh, he said, I'm going to be like this. He said, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. So here's the interesting thing that I think most don't catch. Is he already had a throne of some sort. God placed him in a position and he had a throne, and we later see that throne was over this, what we call the cosmos, the world. And he was going to take that throne that is his, that was divinely given to him, and do what? Place it above God's. You see the struggle of the will there? I mean, that's a super struggle, because God gave him that place. In his absolute sovereign authority, God says you could do this, and have this much of a, uh, an authority, and Satan said, well, I want to go even higher. And once once you do that, there's a struggle. Same in the family. Uh, I think it's interesting to take a 12-year-old that's struggling with childhood and adolescence and hand him the checkbook and say, you run the family. And they're going to look at you like, what? Well, if you want to take over control and you want to be and make decisions for me here, take, take the whole family. And, and now, obviously, you're not going to do that, I hope. But you want to tell them you just can't struggle in one area. You got to take the whole gamut. You can't just want to be have your way in this one thing. Uh, you got to take the whole thing. And as we look at this, look at what it says in verse 13. Going on, it says, "I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north." Uh, this is always has to do with God's throne. Where God's throne is, it's somewhere in the north. And I love when people say, "You know, if you look north," I'm trying to figure out which way north is this way. If you look north, there's an opening in the cloud somewhere, and if you look far enough with a telescope, there's an empty place there. That's where God's throne is. No, it's not. That's not. No, stop doing that. Uh, yeah, we believe scripture's literal, um, and and but it's what this phraseology has to do with God's control and God's throne and God's uh, authority. And he wanted to take that from him, and he, that he wanted to make it his. So the, there was a moral thing, and this moral thing has to do with these five I wills that he starts out with. He wanted to take the moral aspects of God, and he wanted to be um, like that. Well, well here's, here's an interesting thing that Isaiah does. If you look, let your eyes scan back to chapter 13 for a second. Go back to 13. Um, verse 11. In 13, verse 11, it says, Thus I will punish the world for its evil. So who's speaking here? Well, through Isaiah, God is speaking. So God has an I will. So here's what God says. I will punish evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the, pr- the proud, the arrogance of the proud, and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. I will make mortal man scarcer than pure gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Now, it's kind of interesting. We look at these two ideas of wills. Here's God's will, and then we see Satan's will. God's will was to deal with sin and mankind, and Satan's will was what? Himself. Very good. It's all about him. 
And once you, once we, even as we as humans make it all about ourselves, we're going to have tremendous issues. And Satan had tremendous issues because he was saying, this is what I want for myself. And once you do that, uh, you have issues anyway. Uh, uh, who, who says you're the best? That's arrogance, isn't it? That's pride. So we have a ton of things going on with that. So, so when we look at the moral aspect of Satan, it was, it was a pride issue. He was, it was all about his pride. Uh, notice the location though. It says, nevertheless, verse 15, Isaiah 14, 15 says, nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol to the recesses of the pit. So there's a place where Satan will be, um, committed to. In other words, his ability to go different places is limited. Now, just take this for a minute. Let's talk about God's attributes and Satan's for a minute. Since we looked at Satan being limited to a place. So when somebody says, um, today, Satan's here, and Satan's uh, oppressing our millions of people, so Satan's here. Well, Satan's here. That's it. So he's not in um, India. He's not in China. He's not in Israel. He's right here. I, I don't think he cares about this address, but that would make him local. Okay, Satan can't be everywhere at any time. He can get places at super speed. I mean, he can go here in India like... But he's here. If he's here, he's here. God's what? Now, this is going to be hard. God's omnipresent. God's everywhere, every time, all the time. So when we say God's here, that's why it's funny to listen to people pray. And kids, if you want to have some fun, see how adults pray sometimes? Lord, we thank you for your presence here today. What? He's present where? Everywhere, all the time. So we don't have to say, Lord, thank you for your presence here. We could acknowledge his presence. But he's here all the time, all the, uh, right? Because he's, that's who he is. We've got to understand who God is. So we can't say, well, you know, if God was here today, we'd be... No, God is here today. You get what I'm saying? I think it's important for us to understand. Yet God also has the ability to do something to Satan. Satan can't do to God. Limit access. So Satan says, I want my throne to be higher than God's throne. Right? Can Satan limit God's access to that throne room? Think about it for a minute. Because you got, therefore, you just said God's not everywhere at every time. You just, you just changed God from being God. Satan has an access. Let's say Satan's sitting on his throne in the heavenlies. Just for sake of conversation. Can God go there? Absolutely. Can Satan go before God at any time he wants? Absolutely not. So nothing's changed even though Satan had a will. You with me? This is so important. Uh, as we look at this, so, so Satan wanted that uh, to ascend in verse uh, 13. I will sit on the, the second part of verse 13, chapter 14 of Isaiah. I will sit on the throne, uh, sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. This is where I will sit. He wants to take God's throne room. God says, no, no, no. Your access is, is denied, right? What, isn't that computer terminology? Access denied. You can't do that. You can't, you can't, you can, you can want it, but you can't do it. So, and as we look at this, it's very important for us to know that Satan doesn't have free access anywhere, anywhere and to anyone. Go with me to Job. Hold your finger in Isaiah 14. We'll be back in a minute. But go to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1.
You all there? I hear pages turning. One of my favorite sounds is Bible pages turning. It's a really nice sound. Verse 6, Job 1, 6. It says, now there was a day when the sons of God, this is a reference to angelic beings, in this case, uh, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them, which is fascinating. When was this? Well, we know this was in time, because we'll know what the subject is in a moment, but this is in time, this isn't before time. So we know one thing, Lucifer has fallen, and God has given him the title, or according to whoever wrote Job, is referring to Satan, to Lucifer as Satan. Satan, right? It's pretty clear in my Bible, it says Satan, and Satan came along with who? All the angelic beings. At God, who, at what? God's access accepted. God is allowing him into his presence. And people say, well, why does God allow Satan into his presence? Because Satan has fallen. He's already he's waiting for the final judgment, but he's done. But God is allowing him into his presence. Okay? And the Lord said to Satan, notice who initiated the conversation. So if you want to talk about authority and sovereignty, Satan, I don't know how long it was before Job came around in biblical history. Probably contemporary somewhere around the time of Abram. Abraham, that time period, uh, give or take. I'm probably wrong, but I would say it's because he's not a patriarch. We know that. And from what uh, most accounts I look at, I only think Job is Jewish. Uh, he's a patriarchal uh, minister of certain sacrifices for his family. That doesn't make him Jewish, though. Okay. However, that's not the question. The question is, the Lord says to Satan, from where did you come? Now, question, does God not know where Satan was? Okay, what he's trying to do is get Satan to understand he's subservient to God and he has to give um, a dossier of where he's been. He's got to tell where he's been. And he says, uh, then Satan uh, answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around it. Fascinating, because if you later we will see in First Peter, he's, he's on earth to do what? He's looking who he made, seeking who he made devour on earth. Okay, but remember, we're looking at the heavenly picture. 1 Peter 5 gives us the earthly picture. Satan can't devour anybody without God's authority allowing him to do certain things. And notice what he says, though. He says, from roaming about on earth and walking on it. What was Satan looking for in Isaiah to be? Where did he want his uh, location to be, I guess is the best way. Anybody? Where? Huh? Higher to God, he wanted to be thrown. He wanted his place to be higher than God's. He wanted to be exalted above God. He wanted to be. We can say this in a in a framework we're on, the heavenly of heavens, the heaven of heavens, whatever. He wanted to be up there. And notice where he's at. He was only here on earth. That's a pretty small location compared. You understand? In comparison, totally different. If you wanted to pick a planet to rule, and and had people on it. See, that's why I know that Earth only has is the only inhabited sphere anywhere in all of God's creation. Because, right? Because Satan would have said, "Well, I was on Jupiter checking out the people there, or I was on Kronos Four, or wherever these different places are, and I was checking them out there." He was on Earth, a tiny little sphere where God created all life, and that's where he's at. And notice what he says: he was from roaming about on it and walking on it. Now, let me tell you something. I'm looking at couple of kids, 
Guys, when you walk in Rome, where are you located? Wherever you're walking and roaming, right? If you go to the, if you go to the park today and you're hanging out at the park and you're going to walk around the park and roam around the park and play in the swings and everything, where are you at? You're at the park. That's it. So when Satan says, oh, we're walking on it and roaming on it, that means he was only in one place at one time. I want you to understand that. Okay? Then in verse 8, uh, verse 7, excuse me. I mean, verse 8. I was right. It says, and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? So who initiates the conversation? And Job would say, can you leave my name out of this discussion? Job didn't have any recourse to say, hey, God, please don't bring me up. Okay? And he says, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? So notice, and it's kind of interesting, when we talk about a believer's relationship with God, Satan looks at it as, as a fear element, which there is a fear, because why? God's God. We're man. There should be a fear element in that relationship, uh, which means we're in awe of who God is. Satan didn't, didn't say anything about his, Job being in what? Of, in fear of him. Don't let these things pass you. It's such a precious little nugget. Because most people today are fear what Satan can do to you. Why? Why? The fear should be of God. And Satan even knows this, that, that believers don't fear Satan, him. And he wants to be what? Like the Most High. And he can't even get simple men to fear him that are believers. Isn't that interesting? Then Satan answered, God, does he fear uh, the Lord? And notice he uses the... And another thing I think is important for us to see, he's using the the name that God calls himself in Exodus. He says he doesn't say, the Lord answered him. Yahweh answered him. Does God... Does, does he fear Adonai for nothing? Hast thou not made a hedge about him in his house and all, and all that he has on every side that has blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land? In other words, haven't you protected Job? Haven't you? And, and yeah, God does. God, now, I don't think anybody should be out of hearing your prayer today is, Lord, build a hedge around me. I think that's a false use and a horrible use of Scripture. But God does have us all in a certain sphere that he wants us in and places us. Um, and I don't think... Every day, God's saying, okay, what do you think of my servant? But that's a nice thing to say. I mean, God knows us well enough to say, have you considered? Uh, Peter was, what, chastised by Jesus for saying, Satan wants to shift you like wheat. In other words, watch yourself. You're in a bad place to be because Satan wants to use you. A little different element there, but still had to come through the Lord to get access even to Peter who later writes about Satan like a lion seeking to whom he may devour. Um, Then it goes on to this discourse. Now, what I was trying to do is not get into Job that much, but trying to get you to understand that Satan didn't have free access to do anything to anybody without going to God first. So where where did he get any authority? Did he have any? Uh, Today we could say Satan is accusing the brethren. We could say that Satan's an accuser in heaven, and we have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have a great attorney-client attorney, relationship, okay? 
And the judge is all for us because we've been, the, uh, he, ju- the judge judged his son in our place. We're in a wonderful position and we have the righteousness of, of Christ in, in, in God's eyes. Uh, so Satan can do whatever accusation he wants, but we have a wonderful adv- advocate with the Father. Uh, we know that at some point Satan's going to be, uh, incarcerated for a time. Satan's fall is, it was the first example of sin. Um, and it's it's interesting because as we look at it, Satan was the wisest of all of God's creations, and he still did what? Sinned. So wisdom doesn't make you sin less. Uh, it's a relationship with God, and as that grows, so let me kind of kind of give a quick summary on some of these ideas because I want to bring in. Uh, we got a few minutes. I want to bring in another set of issues that come into the universe. So we have two wills. We have God's will. We introduced Satan's will. Satan's will really came to fruition in eternity past, where he said, I want to be like God from Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. Okay, He wanted to assume that place of that throne of God or make his throne higher than God's, I, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, and then we open up our Bibles and we're introduced to a place called Eden. Paradise, right? God creates man and places man in a perfect environment. Uh, man now is also what? Located one place, one time, can't be everywhere all the time kind of idea. Man's very much more limited because our ability to get from one place to another uh, started with biped motion. You had to walk to where you wanted to go. Some people have relinquished that idea and they got to get the closest parking spot in the grocery store because they want to walk less. Um, but most of us have progressed to where we can get around different various ways quicker, and we still can't move like Satan moves. Okay, so our our location ability is limited. So God puts man in Eden, uh, a wonderful place because God designed it, but God also designed man and woman to have free will. So now we have God's will, Satan's will, and we have man and woman. The will, the two wills there. Okay, we're just going to deal with two. Uh, so let's go to Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one. Which is fascinating because it says in verse twenty-two. This is the fifth day God creates animal life. And God blessed them, to bless the animals, all the living creatures on the earth. Uh, and he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters of the, in the seas, and let the birds multiply in the earth. So God gave an order for animals to do what? To make more animals. Be fruitful, multiply. Uh, it's kind of interesting. I've never taken a tally, but I don't think, I don't think the animals have ever let God down. Okay, uh, verse 26 says, then, man, then God said, let us make man in our image according to the, our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creep, uh, creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, blessed them, male and female. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Now, here's different from the animals. Here's different from verse 22. And he says, subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
So one of the first things God tells man to do is to be uh, ruling, fruitful, multiply, and rule, uh, or subdue. You can put all, all those responsibilities. And these responsibilities, listen to me, this is so important, represent God's will on earth. Thy will be done on earth. So God says, here's your rule. Satan already has his fear. We're not dealing with Satan. We're just dealing with man. Man is to rule over the earth and subdue it, which is kind of fascinating because today one of today's greatest arguments is global warming and what man has done to ruin his climate. And the issue is still is man subduing it and ruling over it. Um, and I think uh, when we take all these different side Arguments, we're missing the, what man is to do on earth. Um, it's not saying that man, we're supposed to be responsible people to our things on earth. I think that, you know, if we're, if we're doing things wrong, we've got to check. So if we're doing things environmentally dangerous, stop it. But I don't think we can snuff out the earth. That's not going to happen. So I don't, I don't suggest all believers go out and pollute. Okay. But I also think my personal opinion is a catalytic converter was overkill. So you got two issues going on. I mean, you got to look at what we've done to stifle things and make it even worse sometimes. But that's an opinion, right? And we're not dealing with opinions. But what God wants from man is for man to act like kings over the earth. Every one of you are kings over, the, over whatever domain God has given you. So if you have animals, you're in charge. They're not in charge. They may think they're in charge, but they're not in charge. Um, uh, those kind of things. And chapter 2, verse 17. Chapter 2, verse 17. We're staying in Genesis for the rest of the class. Genesis 2, 17. Then God's, well, 16. And the Lord God's commanded the man, saying, from, and please in your Bibles, highlight that somehow. God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Now, I don't know what trees were in the garden. Um, I read the other day that the tree that man ate from was an apple tree. I don't think so. but I mean, I know not. <laughs> uh, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. What, what is man commanded to do with the tree? In the, in, what does it say? From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. And the day you eat, what God said don't do, you eat from it. That means you take it down. You take a bite of whatever kind of fruit it was. You eat it, you, what will happen? You shall surely die. So these things we have to understand. What's in the ramifications there? God has given uh, a command and a prohibition. Um, so he's given a positive uh, understanding of his will. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue, rule the earth. And a negative side, don't do this. Now, I don't know about you all, um, but I've been in places where there's a, there's a couple of rules how that business will run its business. Don't do these things. There's rules of office places. There's rules everywhere we go. There's some kind of rules. Um, there's, there's rules for sports. There's, and sometimes even the referees don't get them. But there's rules in sports and so on and so forth. So there's rules. Adam had how many rules? Two rules, really. Two, okay? One was positive. One was negative. Two. Right? Positive, be fruitful, and everything that came with the ruling of the earth, we'll call that one. And the negative was what? Don't eat from the tree. Don't eat from the tree. You can make a fort. You can hang out around it. You can put up a sign that says, do not touch. Or, I mean, do not eat. Right? Touch you could do. Right? Touching was good. 
Admiring was good. I don't know what kind of fruit it was. Um, and I think it was a tree that was abundant with whatever fruit it had. It had plenty. Because why? God says, look at it. Be happy because God made it fruitful. Because he said for them to be fruitful. So on and so forth. Um, but God wants willing, willing submission to his rule and his will by Adam and Eve. So if God says don't eat, and Adam makes a choice to eat, whose will is he now taking on? Do not say Satan's. Because Adam was given this command directly. He cannot blame anybody. Listen, it's so simple in life. Personal responsibility is what God wants. God said to Adam, said to the man, don't eat. Adam eats. He willfully, willingly disobeyed God. Okay? If you're not eating from it, you're doing the will of God. It's it, kind of simplistic, isn't it? And how did man do with these two simple rules? Uh, so Adam challenges God's will. Uh, there's no point Adam ever had to eat from the tree. No, Listen, if you were to allow it, let's put it on a different way. You have a garden. Make it as big as you want, because I think Eden was pretty big. And you had thousands of fruit trees and other trees to eat from that, that were very prolific with fruit. And you say, man, I can eat from them all to the fullness and go back and eat some more. Why would Adam willingly eat from that one tree? Huh? Basically, because God said don't. And he wanted to challenge God's will. Uh, and Adam made a choice. But God created Adam with that ability to make a choice. Otherwise, God wouldn't have given him a rule. Think about it for a minute. If God said to Adam, and I command you, eat from everything, have a good time. Um, when I think you're a sinner, I'll check you at the gate and we'll stop this whole thing and we'll cast you out of the garden. I mean, that, that's how I would look at it if I'm looking at the total sovereignty of God. I wouldn't have said to Adam, don't eat from that tree. Because in the day you do eat, you shall what? Maybe die? Possibly? No, you shall surely die. That's, that's a pretty strong command with a pretty strong penalty for breaking it. You think about it? What did Adam know of death? Think about this. Adam was created on the sixth day. Eve came along. He's looking at everything, and everything's beautiful and vibrant. And, and the smell of, of death isn't there. And he had to know it's something negative, because God says, if you do this, this is going to be the penalty. It's going to be death. And it's plural, and I don't think sometimes we miss that in the Hebrew. He says, you're going to die the deaths of deaths. You're going to die. And Adam knew how, somehow knew, uh, and I'm sure that God gave him an understanding that that was going to be separation from something. And it was going to be not a good thing. So God, God explained that to him and made that understandable. And God, don't blame God that he gave him uh, in verse 18, it says, And then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper, an etzer, suitable for himself, for him. In other words, Adam's going to have a soulmate, I guess is the best way to say it. A, a perfect pairing. Um, and that's what happened. And here's, here's I'm going to make it as short story as I possibly can. Adam heard God's voice. Yes or no? In verse 17, did Adam hear clearly God's voice? And from the scripture, we can see God said to Adam and commanded him, and I think that's pretty 
pretty strong uh, that he says this, that God commanded the man, the man, so who's responsible? The man. Then God creates out of man's side an etzer, someone to come alongside. Okay? And Eve is there later in chapter 3. Eve is getting uh, spoken to by Satan. And Eve listens and is deceived by Satan and she takes the fruit. Right? With Y'all with me? Y'all know the story, right? But I don't think we missed something because he says when the woman, verse 6, chapter 3, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to her eyes. Now, nowhere in Scripture does it say this is wrong. I believe the tree was good for food. Right? I believe the tree was a delight to the eyes. I believe the tree was desirable to make one wise because it was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for a reason. There was knowledge there. Does man need to know that? I had a friend once who said, my, my son's got to learn all the bad things in life so he'll know how to do good. I go, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Why would you say that? Oh, he doesn't know the trial. No, he could be a very good person and not know evil. Okay? But once you know good and evil, there's going to be problems. And she took from, took from, from its fruit and ate. She ate. And she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. You know what with her is? Let me do this. With her. Arm's length transaction, right? She didn't say, I went out to Adam. Adam, I tried this. You want to taste? Where'd you get it from, Eve? The tree God told us not to eat from. Or else you might die. May die. I mean, Eve, Eve and Satan both had scripture messed up. But Adam didn't. And Adam did what? He took from the fruit. And he ate. Whose voice did he listen to over God's voice? His wife's. His wife's voice superseded the voice of God. Hmm. Now, for those of you that don't that do something very bad with Scripture, your wife never supersedes the word of God. Period. But your wife's voice is very strong, okay, and very influential. But the word of God is the word of God, and you can say. No, Eve, that's not what God said. So even though she was deceived, Adam made a responsible, free choice to take and listen to his wife's voice and take from her and let and let man fall because mankind fell because of what Adam did. We'll pick up here next week. We'll talk about next week a little bit about being made in the image of God and so on and so forth. So... Uh, Let's go get some coffee and uh, take a break. Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, Thank you again for your scripture, giving us an understanding of how man has has an ability to choose. uh, And on most times when man is influenced by other voices other than your voice, the choice is going to be horribly wrong. Father, help us as believers to hear your voice, go through scripture, and hear you speaking, Father, and be obedient to your voice only. In Jesus' name, amen.